I knew no one can tell that story better than me. Every day, every time there's a protest, we there. Devin Allen is one of the great American photographers working today. In April 2015, Devin's images of the Baltimore uprising in response to the death of Freddie Gray captured the world's attention. Devin's work is part of a remarkable history of American artists capturing images in the fight for social justice. This conversation was recorded earlier this month at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art at Auburn University between Devin Allen and Dr. Ernest L. Gibson III. This episode contains some difficult content and may not be appropriate for all audiences. When I picked up photography, I kind of stumbled across it. You know, um, like I said in the film, I was in the streets in Baltimore. I didn't, I didn't plan my life past 21. You know, I started losing friends at, at the age of 16. And then uh, I had a daughter at 19, which kind of prompted me to want to, you know, change my life. And I had this amazing friend who introduced me to poetry. I started off as a poet. Was not good at it at all, you see. <laughs> but, you know, that introduced me to the arts. Arts was never really offered to us in, in, in city schools or in, in Baltimore. Then you might have had one art class and it's like, draw this cube and this line does this. And that's it. You know, finger paint and make the little turkey things and the hand. <laughs> but, you know, but when I found photography, I, I just Google famous black photographers and it was just all going. You know, I just was diving and I was just diving into his work. And I said, I want to be like him. And that was in 2012. And so when I first picked up the camera, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I just started shooting everything. Devin is talking about Gordon Parks. In 2017, Devin Allen was the first recipient of the Fellowship in Art from the Gordon Parks Foundation. And his work is featured in the film A Choice of Weapons, inspired by Gordon Parks. The work of Devin Allen and Gordon Parks are similar in many ways. But Devin's work relies on social media. It exploded in an era of Instagram and Twitter, where images are shared in real time. Devin is one of the only amateur photographers to have his work featured on the cover of Time magazine, twice. As similar as Devin Allen and Gordon Parks might be, their personal experiences and their experiences as artists are incredibly different. The next part of this conversation talks about April 2015, when Freddie Gray was murdered in Baltimore. Devin was part of the community that responded. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you here, and I'm going to read because I don't want to misquote. Um, you know, you say this, and you said it often, that, quote, every day that I wake up, I have to understand that my career, all the things that I am able to do now as a full-time photographer, is built on the broken back of Freddie Gray, Right. And that's real, that's weight, that's burden in a sense. Um, I can only imagine the heaviness, right, of, of carrying that. And I don't want to reproduce that heaviness, but, but here, we, here we are. And so April 12th, right? Um, April 19th, April 25th. And now here you are, right? Baltimore uprising. Uh, can you invite us in or will you invite us into that kind of interior space um, of you when you were shooting in that moment? Um, like what's going through your head at the protests? How are you seeing what you're capturing? What are you feeling as, as this witness to be Baltwinian um, in that moment? 
Um, yeah, you know, um, like I said earlier, um, I've I knew no one can tell that story better than me. And at the time to pursue photography, I worked overnight with young adults with autism and intellectual disabilities. So I would work from twelve at night to eight in the um, eight in the morning when they would go to school, and that would allow free my whole day out for shooting. So I literally was out Freddie Gray to twelve. I was out every day. Every time there's a protest, we there. You know, marching from Gilmore Homes, downtown, City Hall. I did that for like three months straight. <laughs> um, and I wasn't thinking about myself. You know, I was just thinking about, I need, I need to capture everything. We need to control this narrative. And um, so me and my friends was out, you know, me and like my peers. And um, and I think the most shocking day was on uh, the the twenty the 25th. And... It was a peaceful day. You know, it was probably one of the biggest marches. It was probably like 2,000 people, like so many people, you know, from so many different walks of life. People came from D.C., other places, and everything was fine until we got to the baseball field where people was upset that they had to, like, the baseball game was going on, but nobody was allowed to go. And they basically locked down the whole stadium. And that's where all the police were stationed at. And the next thing I know, we got people throwing uh, mad, like Red Sox fans or and some 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 Oreo fans, baseball fans, were throwing peanuts at us, calling us monkeys, calling us N-word. Like, I was like, what year is this? This is crazy. And then you got to think about it. The N-word, you know, definitely for, you know, a lot of my peers and where I come from was always used as a term of my brother, you know, a term of endearment. So you got these kids, you know, a lot of us, you know, if you're from West Baltimore, a lot of people don't leave from West Baltimore. You know, they live in, like I said, like a live in a bubble. They stay in their community. So for the first time, you're, these kids are 16 and 15, 14, you know, um, getting called this by, from white lips. And, you know, all hell broke loose. And it was literally the youth versus like these full grown adults, you know, and that's when everything turned to the uh, the police, the police cars and everything. And it's funny, if you actually look in the film, you can see me dodging. My hair's not as long as it was now, but <laughs> you can literally see me right where the police cars at in the film. If you go back and watch it, I have like a blue jean jacket on and baby blue. But the crazy thing about it is I, I didn't feel like I was in danger, you know, because while I was shooting, my brother had his hand on my back one of a good friend of mine to make sure I was okay. And we actually, you know, and then uh, the, the police came and then next thing I know you had police officers from as far as like, you know, Pennsylvania, other parts of Maryland. And I didn't think anything of it. I just was still in shock. I just, it's like my body just went into autopilot mode. You know, I wasn't even thinking. I was shooting, uploading. And what I did was to move fast to the media, I was shooting black and white, Wi-Fi to my phone and post while I was on the ground. So, before CNN and a lot of people start reporting, I was already putting stuff on Twitter and putting stuff on Instagram. That's how everybody started figuring out what was going on and everything started going, going viral. And I'm shooting it and then my phone rings. It's my mom. She's watching my daughter. So she was like, Devin, I heard it's getting crazy down here. You need to come get your daughter. She, she got into that candy. She, and my daughter's like, like, like uh, at the time, like sick. She's all over the place. Come get her. She get on my nerves. I'm trying to watch. I'm trying to watch her movies. I said, all right, I'm on my way. I just got to walk to the car. I'm not walking to the car. I'm just, I'm literally between protesters and police officers. So then, you know, my mom calls back. What you doing? I said, nothing. I'm walking to the car. She said, boy, you lying. I see your black ass on TV. <laughs> Why are you so close? I'm like, mom, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and then, you know, I went there, went to sleep, woke up. Work started going viral. I didn't think anything of it. 
went back out, just kept going back out. Um, when time called me, you know, I hung up on her a couple times when they called me because they called from a block number. I don't answer block numbers. <laughs> um, it was just a lot to take in. I didn't realize I was taking in so much energy because I just was like on autopilot mode, go to work, get off, protest, up, um, front lines, we getting tear gas, pepper spray. Um, people was getting snatched up. You know, people was like getting snatched up. You're like, where's so-and-so at? You wouldn't even know because they wasn't processing you. So if you try to look and see if someone's getting processed, they just holding you. You know, the next thing you know, National Guard, police officers from New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania, D.C., Virginia. Um, and I didn't think nothing of it. And a lot of people don't know, like, as we was like shooting these things, people were like really getting hurt, getting harassed. Um, I had, once I got the time covering up and time cover and all those things police officers start harassing me following me home um they lied to me and told me my license was suspended made me get out the car and walk home and follow alongside me harassing me um and then eventually uh i broke down and then i tried to commit suicide wow. like i tried and you know um i find power and i you know when you ask me like i find power in talking about i i hit it for a while um but i can i talk about it public now because it empowers me and i know it and i watch now, you know, years later, I've watched other photographers go through it, definitely with George Floyd. You know, and that's one of the things I start, I start speaking about it because when I, when I tried, I thought I was, it made me, I felt weak. You know, I felt broken because um, my mother found me. And you got to think about it. You know, this is, Freddie Gray just died a month ago. And now all my mother could think of was, you can't call the paramedics without involving the police. Right. So my mother had to call the police on me. You know, left out the house in shackles, you know, handcuffed. It was so crazy because the police officer, when he put me in the back seat, he gave me a pep talk. Black police officer, I know who you are. You got so much to live for. You're working so good. Gave me this whole pep talk, you know, and around the same time, you know, my dad was never really around, but it was just crazy how the universe works. He was actually had admitted himself a couple weeks before that into, um, Shepherd Pratt, which is like a mental health space. He got released the day I went into the hospital. He actually picked me up from the hospital. When I got home, I had my whole family surrounded around me, you know, and, and from that, I got, I made it through it and I felt stronger, you know, and I, and I had, and I was like, all right, well, I need to share this story. So I just start speaking out about it. And then fast forward with George Floyd, I found myself five years later, right back on the front lines and I can see the dread, I can see the pain and I can see how my peers have aged. You know, somebody said, you look younger than on that camera. And I was like, that, we filmed that in 2017. I learned how to heal since then. I learned how to take time for myself. I learned how to meditate. I learned how to, it's okay not to always be on the front lines and to take off. It's okay. You know, I've learned a lot. And that's why I'm starting to get my youth back. Because <laughs> I was stressing myself out. But um, yeah, it broke me. You know, but I was just happy I made it through it because it made me stronger. So when George Floyd and the whole world erupted, I could be there for the for the new photographers that's just coming on the front lines, that's dealing with it on a whole national level. You know, Baltimore, we always felt like we was alone. And the only people that 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 had that understood was Ferguson at the time. You know, you had Obama's calling us thugs and all types of things coming from every direction. And we felt like people look down on us because of our, you know, our, how our city is set up. But now, you know, with, in 2020, I was able to be the, the the anchor and be that support and, you know, and talk to my other brothers and sisters on the front line, like, call me. I'm here. If you need me, I've been there. 
you're not alone, you know. So it was a dark moment, but it put me in a position to heal and help others heal also. Yeah, no, um, thank you for, again, that, that sharing, that offering that, that, that many of us um, don't deserve, but definitely will, will benefit from, um, and, and for the kind of redemption of self, right? Like the rebuilding of self, the, the weight of bearing witness, right? I think what, what's so rich about your sharing, um, um, in spite of its struggle, is that it highlights the role, again, of the artists in this kind of activist space, in this movement for Black life, um, that sometimes I think goes, goes, um, you know, taken advantage, you know, goes, goes um, taken for granted. Um, and that is, here you have the photographer or the artist, um, be it literary or visual, who is charged, whether it's ethically or professionally, to capture and document the moment. Um, and oftentimes we don't understand that that's a double weight upon their shoulders because they're not just engaged in the act of protest or resistance or, or pleading out for help, but they also have to kind of relive, right? I'm thinking about you capture the protests, but then you have to go back and, and edit photos right, or go through those photos. And so each moment that you're looking through or you're circulating through those photos, you're reliving that moment over and over again. So I, I both understand and, and, and sympathize with that break and glad that, that you recognize early enough how to heal from it um, and that you're becoming a resource for, for other folk. To watch the entire conversation between Devin Allen and Ernest L. Gibson III, visit the museum's YouTube channel. Visit us in person to see the work of Gordon Parks and Devin Allen in the museum's collection. Funding for museum programs, including this podcast, relies on listeners just like you. Go to jcsm.auburn.edu to make a gift. Thanks for your support.